All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. So just a second ago, we were singing a song, and we were singing, I'm Alive Because He Lives. And uh, earlier today, uh, a lot of us have been reading through the book of Acts and then also through uh, Galatians and Ephesians. And if you read this morning's reading in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you also... Uh, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the earth, the spirit who's now working those who are disobedient. And what the Bible says is later in verse 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ, kind of along the lines of what we were singing, that I'm alive because he lives, that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And I was just kind of thinking about that as we were singing this morning, that I am alive uh, because he lives. And at the, what we've been doing is we've been ramping up to something that we call Week of Hope. And what we do through Week of Hope is we want to show people uh, the love of Christ uh, by loving and serving them. And then what we want to do is we want to invite them to a Celebration of Hope barbecue and a concert where we will share, uh, we'll have uh, uh, Joanne's going to share with us her hope story, her testimony, uh, how she has found hope in Christ, and then we'll do a short evangelistic talk with that, along with the, the barbecue and the concert. But we'll, we'll talk to people uh, about that. But, but getting back to this, over the last few weeks, we've been doing this series called Acts 29. And in this, in the very first week, I said that only God can raise the dead. Only God can raise the dead. It's not through, it's not, you know, I, I love having a good band, don't get me wrong. It's not a fantastic band. It's not, uh, it's not really clever talks by me or someone else. It's, it's, it's not even our serving, and our serving is wonderful. But the only way that a person is saved, it is a miracle of grace. It is a miracle of grace, and only God can raise the dead. And so uh, that's part of what we've been looking at and talking about that. Um, over the last few weeks, like I said, we've been reading through Acts, these other uh, Galatians, Ephesians. And, and one of the distinctive features in the book, book of Acts is something that Bible teachers like to call the uh, progress reports. So as you read through the book of Acts, you may or may not have been paying attention to this as you're reading, uh, but maybe you were. And, but what we see is we see these progress reports, and, and what I want you to bear in mind is that, that the church at the beginning of, of Acts was just a small group of 120 Messianic Jews. And yet today, it's a movement of 2.4 billion people around the world. And what that is, is, that is that's 2.4 billion miracles by God. Because every person who claims Christ can only really claim Christ because, because they've been saved by God. And, uh, and so we see these progress reports, and so... In, in Acts 2.41, the Bible says, it says, those who accepted his message, the message of Peter, were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added uh, that day. So through the preaching of Peter, but more importantly, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the saving work of God through Christ, uh, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Uh, the, in two chapters later, chapter 4, 
Verse 4 says, But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. So the church at that time was probably 15,000, maybe 20,000 people or more. Uh, Later in chapter 5, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed uh, in the Lord and were added to their number. Chapter 6 says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And as you continue to read, you begin to, to see how more and more people are coming to know Jesus. And so today, what we want to do is, is with these texts, illustrate for us, is that God wants us to be a part of this, this gospel movement, where the gospel goes viral. And the way that we want to do that is we want to invest in reaching our community uh, by doing th- things like Week of Hope. But what we also want to do is we also want to invest in, uh, in planting churches in Northern California. So we want to reach our Jerusalem uh, here in Fairfield, Sassoon, uh, Vacaville. We want to reach our, our Jerusalem. But we also want to reach our Judea Samaria. That's why we partner with next-gen churches uh, to plant churches in Northern California. But then beyond that, we want to reach out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what we began to do was a couple of years ago, we began to partner some with Jim and Annie Culp uh, in what they have been doing with training pastors, uh, church planters, and church leaders uh, now in three different countries, in Mexico, uh, Cuba, and then also in, in Peru. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about that here in a minute. But Matt, why don't you kick us off and let's just kind of get to know Jim and Annie a little bit more first before we start looking at their ministry. First, I want to say, didn't Annie do a great job in the band today? Yeah. I want to point that out. I learned, I learned from you. <laughs> and that is a brand new guitar, and it's the first time anyone's ever played it publicly. I'm so glad you didn't tell me that. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. that. It's worth like $10,000. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. No. I'm always uh, interested in hearing uh, the stories of how people decided to put their hope and trust in Christ. And I would love to hear from both of you. Let's start with you, Annie. How did you make a decision to follow Jesus? And when when did that happen? Well, I was 18 years old when I made my kind of firm, knowledgeable decision for Christ. Um, I was raised Catholic and um, loved my Catholic upbringing. But Catholic Church just didn't have words to tell me how to have that relationship. So I was just sharing with these guys last night. They... I knew they had a relationship with the Lord, but they couldn't explain to me how they got it. So I met a boy, and he took me to church. So we we met in high school. I know that's going to be your next question, so I'll just lead into it because it's part of my story. But we met in high school. I was a senior, and Jim was a junior. And... um, (laughs) And we would go to Mass on Saturday night with my family, and... um, protestant church with his family on sunday morning and they had words to tell me what i wanted so uh a few months later i accepted christ into my heart i was about 18 years old and then it took another six years for me to make the decision to become baptized which um is i've found is very common with catholic to protestant converts that's a that's a different kind of decision so it was actually more important to me when i got baptized than when i um, received really kind of made that personal conversion. So, about you, Jim? I was born while my parents were throwing a uh, church Halloween party. 
It was before Harvest Festival things, so Halloween was still okay then. And, uh, and so uh, my mom had to leave the party that they were throwing in our house. Uh, my older siblings, I'm the youngest of eight kids. And so the older siblings had to make sure the party went on while my mom hurried off, had her eighth child, and wanted to go back. And so I grew up in the church. My parents were uh, faithful serving in church. Um, but uh, I remember um, being probably seven or eight years old. And, uh, and there used to be those reel-to-reel Billy Graham evangelistic movies. And it was a left-behind type movie. And I remember being a little freaked out about that at the end. And, uh, and I didn't go forward to the altar call, but I remember my mom explaining um, that that didn't need to be a fear. And, uh, and so I remember that day uh, making the decision for Christ and, and have grown in the church since then. Awesome. And, and you, are, you have been passing down what you've learned to others. I, a couple of years ago, I was in a, a ministry leadership program that uh, Western Seminary and Next Gen Churches put together. Uh, it was a year-long program focusing on leadership development, on uh, broadening your understanding of theology, uh, et cetera. And uh, Jim was my mentor in that program, and we met regularly for about a year. And I'm so thankful that uh, he uh, took the time to invest in me and invest in my life as a, as a, uh, a follower of Christ, as a pastor. And uh, so I thank you very much for that. Yeah. And so uh, the next thing I want to ask about is the rest of your family. You have three wonderful kids, Kate, one of whom is here today. So tell us a little bit more about your kids. So we have two boys. We have Daniel, who's 21, and Ben, who is 18. So Daniel's the tall one with the hat. Well, we're all tall. 19. I mess that up every time. I always get the ages of our kids wrong. Thank you. <laughs> I miss things like anniversaries, birthdays. He's, he keeps me on track. So 19 years old, 21, and Kate is 16. And uh, Daniel has been going to school up at College of the Redwoods for the last couple of years and is ready to get out of the rain. Um, and he's changing direction. So he started as a literature major, and he has found that he's really interested in medicine. So he's, he wants to study nursing. So he's going to move south of the border and live with our middle son, Ben. Ben is an international relations major at the University of Baja, California in Tijuana and has been there for a year and he's doing very well. Um, so Daniel's going to live with Benny and cross the border into San Diego um, every day this year to finish up his prereqs and then just hope that a nursing school accepts him. And then he'll probably move into Southern California by then because I don't think he'll be able to cross every day uh, and do nursing school. And Kate is our junior in high school, and she is full-time in school in, uh, in a Mexican private school. So Ben and Kate are incredibly fluent in their Spanish. They sound, and Kate has the best accent in the family. Um, but Ben has a very good one, too. So Jim and I are gringos, and we do our best. <laughs> but those are our kids. Awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. So uh, let's transition, talk a little bit more about your ministry, and uh, tell us about your initial call to ministry. You talked with me a little bit about it at San Angelo, or I think it was at San Angelo, yeah. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was 24 years old, and uh, and it really determined what my plan for life was. And 
I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried to determine your own plans, but it usually doesn't work out great. But uh, um, I had watched my parents and my family really struggle economically, and so I wanted to make my own plan to do that differently. And so, uh, um, so I had gone to school on an ROTC scholarship and was an officer in the Air Force. And just as I was getting my feet uh, wet in the Air Force, I felt like God was beginning to call me to ministry. And, uh, and I didn't love that. It was a, it was a wrestle. Um, I, I love to identify with uh, uh, heroes, firm people in the Bible, but if I'm really honest, I'm more like Jacob and wrestled God. I'm more like Jonah and ran from God. And, mm-hmm. and so I spent a year doing that. Um, but it was in that place in a church in uh, West Texas where a young pastor invested into us as a young couple, and we were able to share what God was doing, and and it really changed the course of our life. And uh, and so within a year, we were um, I was still an officer. I owed a good four years more in the Air Force, but we were also pastoring a small rural church in Missouri at the same time, and and uh, and saying, God, here's here's our life, and it's yours. Cool, cool. Uh, tell us about, um, uh, so Jim and Annie started a church in Chico called Orchard Church, and why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got involved in church planning, and uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry while y'all were up in Chico. All right. So uh, as our time in the Air Force was coming to a close, um, we were going to say, okay, God, now where do you want us? If we could do anything, where do you want us? And, and we really felt called back to California. We grew up in Northern California and, and uh, felt led to come back. And, uh, and so as that time ended, as we were coming to an end, uh, we said, okay, God, we are going to plant a church. We had met and partnered with Next Generation Churches by that time. And we said, okay, we have to raise money. We have to sell our house. So six months to a year we'll be in, uh, in California is what we thought. And then uh, the first person that we shared our story with gave half of the money that we needed to plant our church. And so we said, okay, God, maybe you're going to open these doors a little quicker. And so we decided we'd put our house up for sale. And houses weren't selling in Missouri. And, and uh, ours sold in six days. And so we were like, okay, God, you are kicking us out of Missouri. And, uh, and so we committed to that and, and set a date for me to uh, leave active duty in the Air Force. And uh, my separation date from active duty uh, was set for September 20th, 2001. And uh, so we know history. That's a bad time to try and separate from the military. Um, and September 11th happened, and, uh, and, but the Air Force was really good to us and said, hey, you've set your separation date. We understand you've sold your house. Your family's half moved, half not. And so they allowed me to separate and take uh, a reserve position. And so we moved to Northern California and planted our church. And about 10 weeks later, uh, the Air Force came calling. And so as we were having a small... Uh, Gathering in our home, um, the military called me back to active duty. But the night before I got called, we had baptized our first members at the church. And so we couldn't imagine shutting the doors on that small group of people that God had given us. And so Annie stayed behind with, our, at that point, two young boys, 
Open the Doors, led ministry um, while I went and was deployed for about six months. And, uh, and we just saw God be faithful in the midst of that. Um, after six months, we really came back and hit the ground running. Um, and we did a church that uh, we decided to plant in the most difficult, needy neighborhood in our community. And so um, we worked with a lot of people coming out of addiction, a lot of single moms, a lot of people. Uh, we opened men's and women's transition houses as people graduated or came out of jail, from graduated from rehabs. Uh, we wanted to be a place of hope where they could get on their feet and take next steps. And, and, uh, and the church is still there. It's healthy and, uh, and really thriving and serving our city in Chico. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a quick comment. I, I, you know, when we started Solana Valley, uh, at, at that time, there wasn't, there, you didn't have all the books that are out there about church planning that you have now. You didn't have quite the, the mentoring, the training, and, and stuff like that. So we, we just, Joy and I just, we did what they called the parachute jump. You know, it's where you go in, you don't really have a support system, you don't have a sponsoring church or anything like that, but it was the grace and mercy of God that Salon Valley is still here today. What I love about Jim and Annie and what they did is that I, I, there was kind of a path of church planning that, that, quite frankly, it was almost always targeting communities that were a little bit wealthier, uh, where it was easier uh, to build core groups and stuff like that. What I love with Jim and Annie is they did exactly the opposite of, quote-unquote, contemporary wisdom. And which, quite frankly, when I read through the New Testament, that's kind of the way it looks. Uh, a lot of the really smart ways that we do things today uh, sometimes aren't necessarily what we see patterned in the New Testament. And when I say that, I'm not trying to, to diminish anybody or anything anybody does, but I love what they did. Uh, how long were you with Orchard? About 15 years. About 15 yeah. years. And I know for a long time, y'all actually met at a, a homeless shelter. Is that correct? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, where we were meeting in a school, they were meeting in a homeless shelter. And uh, it's not, a, not an easy start. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about uh, your ministry with World Venture. Uh, okay, we were talking about, we were talking about our, our Spanish accents earlier. Okay, this is my Spanish accent. Uh, uh, tell us about your ministry with World Venture and how you got involved in starting Seminario del Oeste. I'm from Arkansas, all that right? Sounds like a I'm guy from, from Arkansas. Oh, yeah, I'm from, boy. that's my, that's my accent. Uh, do but, you eat tacos? Yeah. Tacos. Yeah, we do. Quesadillas? Yeah, quesadillas at, yeah. And one day I want to go to Guadalajara. Yeah, exactly. Oaxaca? <laughs> yeah, so... So anyway, but tell us how you got involved in that ministry and a little bit of what that ministry is about. Being mean. We love I, you. I think we lost, so we lost the real significance of, of this question. We love you, Gary. We thank do. you. We thank do. You. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Only because you have to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Several years ago, um, I said, hey, what do you want to do this year for vacation? And Annie said, warm beach. Warm beach. And I said, how cheap can we do that, right? That was our job. She says, Warren Beach. I say, how do we make that happen? So rent a house in Mexico ended up being the cheapest thing we could find. And so uh, that year, our, uh, at that point, I think sixth grade son came home one day, and it was Ash Wednesday. 
Hmm. And he said, hey, how come my friends, some of my friends have ashes on their head today? What is that? And, and so we got talking about it. And, and he said, what's Lent? And From a Catholic-raised mother, how do my children <laughs> not know about Lent? Failure. Bad. So, uh, so we decided, well, let's teach them that. But not only that, let's, let's take advantage of this time and let's invite our kids to do a 40-day devotional with us. And so I just pulled a book off the shelf that I'd been meaning to read. Uh, it was a devotional called A Place at the Table. And it was about 40 days um, of solidarity with the poor in the world and, uh, and what God says about how the church cares for the poor. And so uh, we started to do that. And one of the things that it said early on was we encourage you to choose a nation where poverty is abundant and pray for them. And if you can, see how much you can live like them for the next 40 days. So we as a family decided that for the next 40 days, we're going to pray for Mexico since that's where we're going this, this summer. And we're going to eat on a middle-class Mexican family budget for our family of five, which at that time was about between 9 and $10 a day for our family. And that meant like if we went to Starbucks, there went $4 of that 10 right? And so we said for 40 days, we're going to do it. And so we ate a lot of beans and rice. Now we know why Mexicans eat beans and rice. Mm. It's not necessarily because they love it. It's because that's what you eat when you have 10 bucks a day. Mm. And so we ate like that, and we did different things. And, and uh, so by the time we went to Mexico, it was no longer vacation. It was this place where God had prepared our heart. And so we saved a bunch of money. When you only eat on $10 a day, you save a lot of money. So we went around and visited ministries, and we just started saying, hey, we saved this money this spring. And we want to bless you with it. And it wasn't a lot, but it was a little bit for us to... And, and while we were there, we knew God had captured our heart. And we knew he'd keep coming back. And so we kept going back. And uh, a couple of years later, um, I just knew God was calling us. And, uh, and that was really hard because we loved our church. We loved where God had us. Um, we weren't unhappy doing where, what we had been. But we knew God had something new um, for us. And so... Uh, three years ago, we moved down, and uh, and we too knew the words quesadillas and tacos. <laughs> so uh, so we had to work really hard to learn uh, Spanish those first few months. Um, but we had a heart to partner with churches to help them raise up leaders, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's what we've been doing. And it's been neat to see God lead us in that. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. And uh, why don't we back up just a little bit? I, I do want to hear more about this, but um, one of the things that Jim did for a while before they went down, uh, and Annie was involved too. I don't know how much you were involved, but in the ministry leadership certificate, because what you did, tell them what that is. Tell them what that is with Next Gen and with Western Seminary, and then how that blends in. I don't, yeah. Did, did, yeah, sure, uh, sure. Um, so now probably about 10 years ago, um, working at Orchard Church, uh, it was necessary that I had a second income. And, uh, and you know, neat how God, was, God works. I was willing to drive bus, substitute teach, whatever was necessary to do what we were called to do. And right about that time, uh, our association of churches um, had gone through a transition, and the guy who was the interim director said, 
I need somebody to help me, especially to do leadership development stuff. And would you do it? And so instead of driving bus, I got to go hang out with cool pastors. And what a huge blessing that was. And, and one of the things that we started to recognize was that we were having great uh, men and women who felt called to ministry that were diving in saying, I am going to preach the gospel in this community where God's called me, but having zero training in ministry. And so we started to say, how do we come alongside these people who've not been trained, who need confidence and competence in ministry to really thrive in what God's called them to do? And so we started with Western Seminary, this program called the Ministry Leadership Certificate. And that's what Matt was talking about earlier had the privilege to work with guys like Matt and pastors all around Northern California as they took this year of preparation um, for people who were never going to be able to uproot their families, to come up with the income, to go and do a three-year program at a traditional seminary. We said, how do we put the best training we can in their hands and come alongside of them so that they grow in uh, both confidence and competence in ministry? Okay. Okay, so um, and and I I loved that that program. It was uh, uh, it was challenging, but I think the, the one of the most rewarding parts was connecting with other. I think there were about fifteen people yeah. in the, our class from various churches and yeah. serving in various roles. Right. Um, so a couple of weeks ago in our staff meeting, we took a little bit of time to kind of rehearse God's faithfulness and look at how He has. Um, been faithful in our church over the last uh, 25 years. Amazing. So how um, how have you seen God bless your ministry? How have you seen him be faithful in what he's called you to do? You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, when you're, when you're doing ministry, and, and ministry that we've done, we have been dependent on, God to do things that don't make sense. Um, the fact that Orchard Church still exists and that we were able to provide for our family, it didn't make sense. Uh, I would look at our Sunday morning crowd and think, I'm not sure there's three nickels for us to rub together between all of us, you know, and, and yet we existed. And, and now as God does uh, uh, the ministry that he's the movement really among the Mexican churches that we get to participate in, um, God continues to expand, and we say we don't know how, and yet that's who God is. He's a God who provides. And not only have we seen him provide materially, um, but really one of the things that I'm seeing, and I'll have Annie tell the story, but uh, God is a God who allows us to live out dreams that only he can give and only he can make a reality in our life. And so this year we've been able to see Annie get to live out a dream that she'd been dreaming about for years. And so why don't you tell the story of just God's faithfulness in, in starting that? Yeah, and I'll back up just a, just a quick second um, to talk about how God's blessed us. But I would say um, we talk about this all the time. He's given us a very gracious um, family. So our family life is full of peace and, and grace. And we sometimes we feel like we're in the eye of the storm. It's very calm at home. 
and, and it doesn't matter what's going on outside. So that's, I think, only God's hand does that mm-hmm. in, a, in a 26-year marriage and three kids. Mm-hmm. So that's been, that's been huge. But on to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have been a fitness instructor since I had my first child, and uh, I, I always had two passions. I love the Lord, and I love exercising with women. It's so fun to me. I'm not, a, I'm not a loner when it comes to exercise. I don't love just running and doing things by myself. I like to have women around me. Um, I want it to feel like a party. So I did that for years um, here in the States and always wanted to sort of join the two, but never it just never worked out. So we moved to Mexico, and, um, and it's amazing how God will just say, okay, now, now it's the time for your dream. So I was a student in the seminario, um, so I, I learned what all of our students go through. And the second year of, of the leadership school, it's a very practical year, and you learn how to start a ministry. And you, Jim takes you through the idea of it, the dream of it, and then puts through all the practical steps, how to multiply it, how to uh, get people alongside you to help you, the whole thing. So at, concurrently, I was taking a course there to become certified as an instructor in Mexico because I wanted to be able to just offer that up to friends and um, so I started a project called Body and Soul in the seminario, and I just thought it was a hypothetical thing. And then we sat down with a pastor and, and his wife who were interested in being students, and uh, I was explaining to her what my project was. And she said, I just got back from the doctor, and he said, I have too much anxiety. I'm very over overstressed, too much stress. Um, I'm suffering with some depression, and I have some unexplained pain. Who has unexplained pain? Lots of us, right? A lot of it's due to stress and anxiety and depression, and things like exercise can help. So I was explaining what I, what I wanted to do, and she said, that's exactly what I'm looking for, but I've never done exercise before. Do you think it'll be okay for me? And I, absolutely. So they offered up their church. So in January, I started a program that I call Body and Soul. In Ensenada, you can get away with using a title in English. Mm. So it, further in, in Mexico, I would call it Cuerpo y Alma. But in, in Ensenada, Body and Soul is cool. It actually makes you more cool. It makes you cool. So, but my class is in Spanish. So, um, so I do about 45 minutes of exercise with my gals. And then we do 15 minutes of worship. And we're, I'm going to actually steal your... 40 Days of Hope, and I'm going to go through that with my gals because I just think it's fantastic. Um, so I cool them down, and we stretch, and, and I do different things with them. Um, sometimes we do Pilates and yoga. Sometimes we do cardio. Other times we do strength. It just depends on where they're at and what I feel like they need. Um, but because it's a ministry, I don't keep any money. I charge them a little bit for their commitment, but I don't um, I don't keep it. I don't need it. So one of one of my values is empowering and supporting women. That's part of the reason I love being there. It's it's women together forming friendships, growing deeper in the Lord, and getting our our physical self better because they work together. You can't be you can be one or the other, but it sure works better if you are healthy physically and healthy spiritually. So that's where I'm going with my with my ladies. But I want to tell you a quick story about my friend Gabby. So this is my graduation picture 
behind me from uh, my seminario graduation in December. And the woman standing to my right um, is a woman named Gabby. And the young lady uh, on her right is her daughter, Fernanda. And Gabby and Fernanda and her husband, Fernando, uh, were students in, in the seminario. But Fernando had a heart attack two years ago. And Gabby is becoming a widow. He is not going to ever recover from his heart problems. And Gabby, while she's a very hard worker, can't work right now because she's caring for Fernando. Um, She is a woman of deep faith, and uh, she's your prayer warrior. She's the one that you would have beside you to fight any spiritual battle. That's Gabby. One of the things I absolutely am so um, in awe of is that she does not pray for an earthly miracle for Fernando because our goal isn't here, she says. Our goal is heaven. And, and so he gets there a little bit sooner than the rest of us. Mm. And I go and I visit with her, and I think I'm going to encourage her. Mm. And I come away in tears because she's completely blessed me. Mm. And she's prayed for me and, and ministered to my life, to our life. She's been a dear, dear friend. So minimum wage in Mexico is only about $10 a day. It's, that's what we were saying. It's about 200 pesos a day. And so my gals give me money. Sometimes they give me extra because they know it's going to Gabby. And I'm able to give her about two days of worth of work every week, which is a big help for their family. And, and it's part of what I wanted with Body and Soul. I want, I want to help women, and it helps me as well. Just recognize that there's no competition. We're just here to lift and support and pray for and help each other in a good, healthy, um, sweet, loving way. And so that's been, that's been a, it's been fun this year. It's been a wonderful journey that I've gotten to experience. Cool. Awesome. That is awesome to see and to hear. Um, so I want to uh, transition a little bit and ask you, Jim, if you could tell us a little bit about your ministry to the persecuted church. And how investing in that kind of ministry has made a difference in your life. Yeah, it's uh, so right now we're working in uh, three different countries. We're in the Peruvian Amazon. Uh, we work in Cuba and we work in uh, different states around Mexico. And one of the things that really has brought us joy and shaken our faith is working with the church in places that... Uh, that worshiping and serving Christ is um, is not freely done. It comes at a risk. It comes at a price. And so one of the places that we work is in Cuba. And in Cuba, it is illegal to have a church gathering of more than 40. And even if you're going to have a church gathering of 40, you have to have a certified registered home and pastor. And so we started working there to help Cubans certify pastors um, so that they could legally host home churches. But one of the things, one of the places we meet, this is our one of our master's classes that we teach there, and it's in the home of Pastor Ray. And every time I visit Ray, uh, his church service runs over a hundred people. And I say, Ray, I was here four months ago, and we agreed you're going to send out more churches to protect yourself a little bit. And he says, Yeah, we sent out 25 people. And 25 new people have come. He said, what am I going to do? Put 
closed on the front door? He said, we can't do that. And so if God keeps sending us more people, we'll deal with the risk. And, uh, and I love that faith that we see. And every, so every day that they meet, today as they meet, he is at risk of both imprisonment and losing a home that goes back to the Spanish-American War that's been in his family. And his answer is, well, what am I going to do? Put closed? Of course not. And so we see that, and it stretches us, and it says, and we see this passion for Christ that no matter what. This year, we began working in the state of Chiapas. And Chiapas is, if just looked at as its own region, is the most persecuted place in the Western Hemisphere. And Chiapas is this interesting state all the way down on the Guatemalan border of Mexico. And when... uh, uh, it is 30% native people groups, and their first language is not Spanish. Who knew that there's all kinds of people in Mexico who don't speak Spanish? Their first language are these indigenous languages that go back centuries to Mayan, Aztec, Olmec peoples. And so I had the privilege to be there in March and teach, and, and there's a story of a green church there. Can you go to that? And this is a church that had just opened the week before I was there in the little village of Montesion, Mount Zion. And I had the privilege of sitting with this family, and these are the leaders of the church. And I had the privilege of sitting there while the woman in the purple and pink told me her story. And her name's Maitza. And Maitza, she's all of, I'm not standing on a step there. They're small people. So Maitza's all of about four foot ten and ninety pounds, and she began to tell me her story uh, through her husband who was translating. And Maitza said, uh, "We I was married as a young young teenager, and I always knew my life would end when my husband killed me." And that's her husband in the gray next to her. He said he was an alcoholic and violent, and he beat me, and and our life was always at risk and they grew up or they lived in this small village uh, among the Wistan people of Mexico about 1800 feet above the city of San Cristobal Chiapas and so they lived at almost 9,000 feet elevation and every day the husband would walk down and he would sell or exchange goods and then walk back to the village and one day he walked down and while in in the city Someone shared Christ with him. And he accepted Christ. And that day he walked in his home and Maitza said to him, what happened to you? She could visibly see he hadn't said anything. Jesus over him. And so that day they became the Christians among the Wistan people. And before you knew it, they had shared Christ with their neighbor. And then the neighbor, and and that day he announced, uh, we are now Christians. He just announced it. It's like the book of Acts when it says, hey, today, me and my household, you and your household are saved. That's what he, he just declared it. And everybody said, yeah, we see that in you. And so they became Christians and neighbors became Christians. Well, the Wistan people are afraid of losing their culture. And so they don't allow people to take on other religions. And so shortly after the house church started, the village elders came to the family and they pulled them all out while they were having one of their church services and they lined them up 
and they beat the pastor, Pastor David, and they said, renounce your faith in Jesus. And he said, as he's telling me the story, as he's translating from Maitza, and he tells me with tears running on his face, I signed because I could not imagine watching my family and my friends be beaten just like I was. And so he signed and he renounced his faith. And so then they went to Maitza and they demanded that she sign. And she said, I can't. I can't sign. She said, how could I deny what I know to be true? And so they beat her. And they knocked out all of her teeth. And then they demanded that she would sign. And her answer was simple. How can I deny what I know to be true? And so then they just went through and they beat everyone. There was about 15 of them. They beat them all and then they burned their homes. And they expelled them from the Weston people. I told you this church is in the little village of Montesion. It gets me emotional. Montesion, that doesn't sound like a Spanish name. Well, it might, but it, it's Mount Zion. As you travel around Chiapas, you go through Mount Zion, Bethlehem, Salem. Because as these people are expelled from their village for following Christ, they go establish villages in the name of Christ. Mm. They hadn't built their own homes yet before they built that church. Mm. They were living in just put together, pieced together homes because the first thing they did was build a church. Mm. The thing that stuck with me is how can I deny what I know to be true? Mm. And I look out and see shirts of hope. And that's what we have. We have hope. And our hope can't be just a name on a shirt. It has to be the thing that we say, how can I deny what I know to be true? I have this hope that lives within me. And it really has shaken our faith to work among people of such great strength, such great um, commitment to this hope that lives within them, that it says... All we want to do, all we really do in Mexico and Latin America is stand behind heroes like Maiza and say, how do we help you never deny what you know to be true? That's that's what we do. Yeah, Uh, it's supposed to be my turn. I'm kind of like, I'm just feeling a little bit lost here. Um, You know, it's interesting to me, Maiza, and what's her husband's name? David. David, uh, it's interesting that in our world, in 21st century North America, the kind of leaders and leadership in churches that we celebrate, and I look at people like David and Maitza, and it's like, you know, nobody's going to write their book, nobody's going to invite them to speak at a church growth conference, but I'm like, that's what real spiritual leadership looks like. And uh, so, okay, so let's talk about this. Um, I mean, I'm going to ask Jim to speak to this because I think you need to hear this. I think I need to hear it, but I think you need to hear it. And it's like, how can we, you know, we we partner a little bit financially. I wish we could do. I wish we could do more. But how can we? I apologize. 
how can we as individuals in our church and as a church as a whole support and help you guys in what you do? Yeah. I think first, um, pray for the move of God in, in Latin America. Um, you know, pray for the move of God around the world. But Here too. We're, we're speaking yeah. and saying mm-hmm. um, we see God moving. Um, we see God moving, you know, if we... We hadn't been in the States for a while, and everything is about the crisis at the border. But we see this migration crisis going on, and we see God using it. And so pray for this movement of God um, that's going on around the world that we're seeing in Latin America. Um, it, the, the icebreaker was, what would you do with a million dollars? A Cuban makes $50 a month. And so I'd hire 100 Cuban Christians and say, go change the island and then go from there. Uh, and we'd have 15 years worth of ministry right there. And so, you know, there's, there's this place where a little bit goes a long ways. Yeah. And that's what's so cool is um, when we say, God, how are we going to do that? And God says, hey, these are little things that, that I'm going to provide for you. And so um, we've had the privilege of seeing that. And so I say, first pray. Um, thank you for faithfully giving. We, um, we depend on that, you know. Um, we are Cuban staff. We have five full-time people, um, and that costs us $325 a month. So you may say, I wish we could give more. I say, what you give allows for a lot because it goes a long ways. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's incredible. We love what, how God's provided um, for us. Um, and then I would say uh, be involved here so that strong churches here are able to continue to impact the work that's going on there. Um, we are one church. I, um, I was just a couple chapters ahead this morning reading Ephesians 4. And, uh, you know, that we talk about that one body, that one faith, that one baptism. That doesn't extend to Solano Valley. That extends to the church of Jesus Christ, period, around the world. And so... Today, as you strengthen and live as people of hope, you join this family as people of hope. And so live as that. Um, And then, you know, um, there's always opportunities to then impact your to the ends of the earth. And so we explore what does that look like? What What does it look like for Solano Valley to actively participate being hands and feet uh, to the ends of the earth? Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, I apologize for getting hijacked emotionally. It happens to me quite a bit. But, and I'm a uh, but the, But what I, I want to say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to work on, on this, and it's gonna, we're going to get better at this. Is right now, we kicked off the first Sunday of July. We kicked off a special time of revival praying. And the reason we kicked off a special time of revival praying that we invited the church to is because we believe that... We believe only God can raise the dead. Only God can raise the dead. And we believe that people, not just people in Mexico or Peru or Cuba, but we believe that people in Fairfield and Bacaville and Sassoon and Vallejo and Napa, they are are people who are spiritually dead. They are spiritually dead. They have no hope. They have no hope. They may have a nice home, nice cars, but they have no hope apart from Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we are going to get better at praying as a church. And this is why we do 40 days of prayer. To kick off a year, 
This is why we do 40 days of prayer to kick off Week of Hope, because only God can raise the dead. And uh, so we're going to get we're going to get better at praying, and we're going to get better at praying for you guys. And uh, and and uh, I'm going to need some help on this because I'm not a great organized kind of a guy. It's not really who I am. I wish I was, but that's not who I am. But I want to make sure that we are routinely praying for you guys and bringing reports into the congregation uh, so that we can pray together collectively for them. Can y'all agree to that with me? Can we do that? Uh, get better at praying for them. And uh, so speaking of prayer, uh, and, and the other thing is is that I've kicked off recently a men's discipleship uh, thing that we've been doing. And uh, uh, this month we're only meeting one time because of Week of Hope, but in August we'll meet three times. But one of the things that I would really like to do is in the future, I'd, be able, I'd like to see us be able to take a group of guys down, maybe a group of our young people down, to help love and serve churches in Mexico. But when we do it, we're not going to go in and tell them how we can serve them. When we do it, we're going to do it in a way that they tell us how we can love and serve them. Because we come in and we think we're the experts on how to do ministry, and we really aren't. They know their needs better than we do. So when we do this, we're going to learn from them what they need, and then we're going to work together to help meet some of those needs and love and serve people there. But we want to do that in the future. So, uh, But what we're going to do right now is we're not going to talk about praying. We're going to pray. But I would like to, to lead us. Matt, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'll pray both. Both of us pray for you guys. But tell us a couple of things that right now are um, maybe a couple of things for your family because we want to pray for your family. Uh, but then also for your ministry, both, you know, body and soul, but, yeah. but you know, oh, Esta, whatever, <laughs> Seminario, you know, <laughs> Western Seminary in Mexico, okay? That's, that's what I know how to say. That's okay. God understands green <laughs> Thanks. No problem. Thanks. He speaks all languages. All right. Um, so for our family, I, my, my sons are, are living in Tijuana. And um, I would really love it if you would pray for them to be able to find a church, a church where Benny has has done some he's done some church shopping, for lack of a better word, but he doesn't do well without a buddy. And so I'm very we're really happy that Daniel's coming down um, to to help him. But if you would pray for that, that would be wonderful. Um, And for Kate that uh, we can help her get a little bit more firm in a youth group. She's doing very well, but it would be wonderful if we were able to help her do that. Um, And then um, I guess as far as you and I go, maybe maybe just that we'll we'll be able to find – some rest and rhythm in our in our life. I think that's probably the biggest one that I would say we need some help with. Uh, and and God can open up space when you pray for it. And you don't all you're not always aware of it, but He'll open up pockets of space. So if you would help us to find those moments, that would be that would be great. Okay. Yeah, and I would say in ministry, um, God has blessed us with a great team uh, of Mexicans that we work with. Um, but every time he, I start to say, like, God, you're giving us the team to do what we're doing. God gives us something new. And I say, I don't know how we're doing that. 
and and that's kind of been what the last year and a half has been like. Um, we feel like we're drinking through a fire hose, and it's exciting. God's doing uh, great things. But through our Cuban campus, God has just opened a door for us to begin training pastors in Spain. And we don't know how we're doing it. I, we're doing it, but we don't know how we're doing it. And so I look at our staff, and the other night I couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep because I was like, we're starting to plan 2020, and I know how we travel to 15 of the 21 places we need to go in 2020. I don't know where those other six come from. And so we just said, God, we, well, there it is. There, instead of worrying about it, there's the prayer. So grow our team, um, expand our finances, make plane tickets cheap, all those things. You know, we don't need to expand our finances if you just make the planes ticket cheap enough. And, uh, and so, uh, but we really need God to raise up uh, another staff member for us as well. Um, and so, um, because we want to say yes to the doors that God opens. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that would be, that'd be the big one. Okay. Okay. Uh, how do you want to go ahead? Well, I can start us and you can, uh, that sounds good. Or as we like to say, I'll dial and you hang up. Yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> Okay. First of all, let, let's just, uh, can we just, uh, I know they don't want to be applauded, but can we thank them for being here with us today? And uh, and thank you again for serving in the band. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. You know, we're going to we're gonna close with a song we started with, uh, Hosanna, Praise is Rising. The first verse says, Praise is Rising, Hearts are Turning to You. And in your kingdom, broken lives are made new. That's why we do what we do. That's why you do what you do. And uh, that's why we're doing Week of Hope. And um, so let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for the Culp family. Thank you for the ministry that you've called them to and for how you have given them the courage to obey uh, and, and do what you've asked them to do. Um, Lord, I want to I thank you for how you're using them to impact uh, people in, in Latin America for how you're using them to to train and equip uh, leaders to um, to lead healthy and thriving churches there. And I want to um, I want to pray right now uh, specifically for some of their family needs. I, I pray for Ben and for Daniel that uh, they can find a healthy and thriving church to belong to down there, a place where they can where they can jump in. And serve and 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 worship and give and, and reach out uh, to their community uh, and just and be um, active and, and fruitful um, members of a local body down there. Uh, I pray as well for uh, Kate and her involvement in their youth ministry. I pray that uh, she can be involved in a in a thriving youth ministry where. Uh, her her bucket can be filled and where she can be refreshed and where she can refresh others as well. Um, I pray for them, uh, for the their family, um, that you would help them to find a, a sense of, of, of a rhythm and rest uh, that uh, each and every day um, they can uh, arise uh, knowing um, that you are with them and that they can... Uh, Create a, a, a healthy, uh, sustainable uh, pace of life 
uh, f- uh, and balance with their ministry work and with their 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 personal life. And uh, I pray for the the rest of their time here in the states that it is a, a fruitful and productive time as well. I pray this in Christ's name. God, you are great and you are awesome and you are are good and always faithful. And we are grateful for how you are, um, just how you've shown your grace to us and uh, how you have made us who were once spiritually dead, spiritually alive. Um, And we're grateful for that. And God, I want to thank you for how you are working through Jim and Annie in the lives of pastors and church leaders and church planners in three, now uh, it looks like four countries and uh, dozens of communities uh, and in uh, many, many churches. And, uh, and we are grateful for that. And, and Lord, what I want to pray for is that, and, and we need this here at Solana Valley too. We always need, it, we're grateful for the teams that we have, but we need more. We need your your word says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So right now, we're going to pray for more workers. We're going to pray for some key people who can step up and, and serve in those different ways. Uh, God, you are, um, you are always faithful in your provision. And, and, and Lord, as their ministry is growing, they have more needs financially. And so I'm just going to pray that you'd put it in the hearts of people, our hearts and the hearts of others, to give. Uh, more generously uh, to, 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 to be able to touch the lives the lives of more people. God, I want to pray for David and his wife. other pastors and pastors' wives who are serving persecuted churches in parts of Mexico, uh, Cuba, uh, and around the world. And and today, they're leading your people in worship. God, they need, just like we all do, grace to do what you've called them to do. And so I just pray you would help them to be strong and courageous. And God, for those of us who who live here in a place where we're so incredibly blessed, we we don't want to feel guilty or ashamed because of how you've blessed us, but help us to be really, really grateful. Help us to be really grateful and help us to be humble. And, uh, yeah, that's what we pray for. Uh, I want to pray for our car wash today, God. I want to pray for all the ways that we're going to be serving over the next few days. I pray for our barbecue, our concert, uh, for Joanne, as she is going to share her story, her hope story, uh, of how she has hope in Christ, and, and me as I share the gospel. And I pray for people in our community to come. And and. God, only you can raise the dead. And so what we're going to pray for, God, is that you would work through us and that you would would lead lost people 
uh, to Jesus through us this week. And so we, we pray this in Christ's name, uh, by the power, the authority of his name, and for the honor and the glory of his name. Amen. All right. Amen. I'd like to ask the band to come back up, please. And uh, thank you again, Colts. We appreciate y'all. Yeah. Thank, thank you, guys. You.